This is Gene Wilhelm, and today we'll be studying the readings for the Feast of the Ascension of the Lord. In some dioceses, this is uh, on the traditional day of the Thursday before the seventh Sunday of Easter. In most dioceses in the United States, it's celebrated on this, what would normally be the seventh Sunday of Easter. It's a, it, if I, when I look at the uh, readings, the word power is and might are two of the things that seem to pop up most frequently. You know, uh, when when we finish the Our Father, we 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 say, "For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, now and forever." This is what Jesus is manifesting. He's manifesting his his power and his glory, and he's going back into his kingdom, the kingdom of his Father. We'll begin today by looking at the Acts of the Apostles, the first reading. This is. Uh, really a better uh, description of the ascension than is either in Luke or in Mark. Mark, in his typical fashion, is very brief, and all he says is that uh, Jesus ascended, and that's it. It's one verse. So let's look at this. It, it, It begins with, in the first book, Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus did and taught until the day he was taken up. Now, Theophilus is a, a name that means friend of God, Theophilos. So this is a friend of God. This, we, there's no reason to understand that this was necessarily a, a person. It could be something that Luke is saying, just like with the beloved. If you look at Luke chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he says, In my turn, after going over the whole story from the beginning, have decided to write an ordered account for you, Theophilus so that your excellency may learn how well-founded the teaching is that you have received. So Luke is the author of both the Gospel of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles, and he's addressed both of these books to Theophilus. So it's, it's, if it's a human being, that's fine. If not, it's saying something like beloved or dearly beloved, uh, like you would see in some of the readings that we get for the second readings, how the church puts brothers and sisters or beloved uh, at the beginning to introduce what's going on. So it says he was taken up after giving instructions to the Holy Spirit. So what's what what you have here is that Jesus spent 40 days after his resurrection teaching the apostles. Now 40 days is a is is, is, is important in the, the Hebrew thought. Uh, Jesus spent 40 days in the desert to be tempted by the devil, to prepare for his uh, mission. He spent 40 days with his apostles to prepare them for a mission. And you see 40 is a, a number that it was the number of years that the Hebrews had to spend in the desert to be prepared to do the entry of the promised land to take it over. Uh, you see that the rain for Noah lasted 40 days and 40 nights. Another thing of purification and preparation. And you also see that Elijah, when he went to the Mount of Horeb after he had been victorious at Mount Carmel over the 450 prophets of Baal, took 40 days to get to the place where God could speak to him in that still small voice, that, that gentle breeze. So it's it's key here, and it's important, and I think Luke uses this in, to indicate 
that it is a time of preparation. It's something that the Jews would understand, although Luke may have been writing as much to the Gentiles as he was to the Jews. So he presented himself as a, but he's presented himself to the apostles whom he had chosen. Now, in John chapter 15, verse 16, and you'll get tired of hearing me say this because I say it so frequently, Jesus told them at the Last Supper, you did not choose me. No, I chose you and commissioned you to go out and to bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the Father will be give you anything you ask him in my name. So it's not a situation where the apostles chose to follow Jesus. Jesus chose the apostles to follow him. And he's... Luke is emphasizing that here again, that it was Jesus's choice, not the apostles' choice. And he says he presented himself to, alive to them by many proofs after he had suffered. So what are the proofs? Well, you can remember that he ate fish with them on uh, the shore of Galilee. He ate fish with them in the upper room on that first night uh, after he was risen. And so he's, he's obviously did other things that we don't have accounts of here. So Jesus did this for his apostles so that they would know that he was truly risen. So he did that for 40 days. And he was speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, where, what is the kingdom of God? Now, it, in, in Luke, it's going to be the kingdom of God. In Matthew, since Matthew is written for uh, the Jews, they would not use the name of God. It's, so it's the kingdom of heaven there. So he... Where is his kingdom, though? And we, we know several places. He tells us uh, uh, that the kingdom of heaven is among us. The kingdom of God is among us, is what he's told the apostles before. And when asked by Pilate whether he was a king, he said, Jesus, this is John 18, 36-37, Jesus replied, Mine is not a kingdom of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my men would have fought to prevent you, my being surrendered to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not belong here. Pilate said, so then you are a king? Jesus answered, it is you who say that I am a king. I was born for this. I came into the world for this, to bear witness to the truth. And all who are on the side of truth, listen to my voice. So Jesus is doing a lot, has told them about the kingdom. Now, the other thing that he told them is not to wait, not to leave Jerusalem until the promise from the, but wait for the promise of the Father. Now, in John John 14, 26, he has talked about that. He says, but the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. So he's telling them to wait. Stay in the safety of the upper room. Wait. So the the, the 10 days between his ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit was like a 10-day retreat for the apostles and those that were gathered in the upper room to prepare themselves for the Holy Spirit's coming upon them. And he says about who he spoke. Jesus spoke to him about the Spirit several times. And he says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So John dip people in the Jordan as a symbolic gesture of washing away their sins, of repentance, a baptism of repentance. Whereas the baptism that we receive because of Jesus' death and resurrection, 
we are, water is poured over us, but we receive the Spirit at that time. And then at confirmation, the Spirit is given to us afresh and even stronger. And so this is speaking again about pointing toward the, the sacraments which we have. When they had gathered together, they asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Look at this. He talked about the kingdom of God, and now the apostles, in their typical fashion, bring it down to a very earthly thing that they're talking about. And they want him to restore the kingdom of Israel. They want the Davidic kingdom. They still do not understand that the kingdom that Jesus came to establish is not a worldly kingdom. So even to the very end, they didn't understand what he was saying, and they did not understand what he was saying until such time as they had received the Holy Spirit. And then things became clear to them. But Jesus goes on to say, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is established by his own authority. Authority. God's authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So, Jesus is telling them that they're going to receive power. Now, we all want power in our lives, don't we? I mean, we want to be have the power to be able to do the things that we want to do or that we need to do. The, what Jesus is telling them that they are going to receive power, but it's not power in and of themselves. It's power that comes through the Holy Spirit. When we, when we work through, try to do things in our own way, we are not allowing the Holy Spirit to work. It is only when the Holy Spirit is working through us that we have the power to do all the things that we need to do. And Jesus, again, is commissioning them in a way that is different from what he's done in the past. He sent them out, the 72, out in pairs earlier in, in the Gospels to do the, the evangelization. And now he's telling them that they're supposed to go out and they're not just supposed to do the, do the Jewish people, but they're supposed to do the people in the heart of Judaism in Jerusalem, they're supposed to do the Jews in Judea who were the, the, the core of it, but also to go to Samaria and to the Gentiles, which was probably a strange thing for the Jews, the Jewish people who were following Jesus, the apostles, for them to understand. It was difficult for them to understand. When he said this, they were looking on, he was lifted up and the cloud took him from their sight. There is a precedent for the, for this happening, and it's with Elijah was taken up in the fiery chariot, if you remember, that he was taken up into heaven. But he's the only one before Jesus that was taken up into heaven. And we know that after Jesus uh, went to heaven and his mother died, she was take up, taken up into heaven as well. So he's looking up, and, he, and a cloud took him from their sight. So they couldn't see him anymore. Suddenly, two men dressed in white garments stood beside them. They said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking at the sky? What are you doing here, guys? Why, why are you wasting time here? Go do what Jesus told you to do. This Jesus who has taken up from you in, this Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will return the same way you've seen going to heaven. So Jesus is going to return. Now let's back up a little bit about what's going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. There are a couple of places that we could find that, uh, <coughs> pardon me, 
One, two things are going to happen when they receive the Holy Spirit. They're going to re receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and they're going to receive the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are uh, given to us in Isaiah, Isaiah 11, 2, and the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, paragraph 1831, says the seven gifts of the Holy Spirit are wisdom, understanding, counsel, fortitude, knowledge, piety, and fear of the Lord. They belong in their fullness to Christ, son of David. They complete complete and perfect the virtues of those who receive them. They make the faithful docile in readily obeying divine inspirations. Let your spirit, your, let, pardon me, let your good spirit lead me on a level path. And, and that's uh, from one of the Psalms. So that's one of the things we see. The other thing is the fruits of the Holy Spirit. And those are given to us in uh, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Uh, Paul had been talking about the 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 uh, fruits of unfaithfulness, the fruits of the devil, and then he says, on the other hand, the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, trustfulness, gentleness, and self-control. No law can touch things such things as these. And the, in the Catechism, it talks about the, in in paragraph eighteen thirty two. Now. What, what Jesus has done here, and I think what we don't understand is that he was gone. After three days, he came back, and now he's gone again. And I would think that the, the apostles, the disciples who were there at the, the, at the ascension would have been somewhat uh, taken aback and wondering what this is all about. Why did he come and go and come and go again? Here we are on our own all over. So why why would he do that? And that is why he told them to go back to Jerusalem and to wait for the Holy Spirit. It would be revealed to them by the Holy Spirit when that came. So these, this Feast of Ascension, the Ascension in a real way, is a preparation for us for the Feast of Pentecost. Our own feeling of being left alone, that Jesus has abandoned us, is going to be taken care of when the Holy Spirit comes to us afresh. Let's take a look at the second reading, which is from Ephesians 1, 17 to 23. Brothers and, brothers and sisters, you know, that greeting in Theophilus, may God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation, resulting in knowledge of him. Wisdom and revelation. One, one of those is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? But revelation, in a sense, is also that gift of knowledge that we are able to totally understand who God is, that God is going to reveal himself to us in a way that we know who God is. And that knowing who God is and who Jesus the Son is, is is in a different is, is different from what we may think about how we study for a test in school to get that knowledge. This is an intimate knowledge that a relationship with Jesus and with his Father so that we can have intimate knowledge of them. And so that's what's going to happen, that you may know what is the hope that belongs to his call. Now, last week we, uh, we looked at 1 Peter. And in 1 Peter, remember, 
uh, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, Peter, in one of the two uh, encyclicals that he wrote, the, the early encyclicals, probably the first or among the first encyclicals, told us, simply proclaim the Lord Christ in your hearts and always have your answer ready for people who ask you for the reason for the hope that you have. So what's the reason for your hope? What is our hope? Our hope is that we will live with Jesus eternally. But if the kingdom of God is among us, as Jesus had told us, then our hope is that we will live in that kingdom here on earth as well as the kingdom in heaven. (coughs) Pardon me. What are the riches of glory in his inheritance among his holy ones? Holy ones, remember, holy to the Hebrew mind meant set apart, which means not part of the world, not part of the Gentile world anyway. (coughs) So what is the the greatness of his power? What is the surpassing greatness of his power for those of us who believe? If If you believe in Jesus Christ, you make his power available to you. If you allow the Holy Spirit to come into your life and work in your life and operate in your life, you're allowing that power to come into your life, the power that can come overcome all created things. In accordance with the exercise of his great might, so it's power and might, power and might, power and might. So it's, it's saying the same thing in a different way. And every name, so what it's, and not only in this age, but in the one to come. Now, age, that's aeon, which, from which you get our word eon, which means age or world, it's, uh, the Greek does. And he put all things beneath his feet. And so Jesus is now Lord and King of all the earth for sure. What does that tell us? It tells us that God wants us to have the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, that we, he wants to make that available to us. We have received the Holy Spirit. We need to let the Holy Spirit free in our lives so that we can experience all that the Holy Spirit has to offer, that we can allow the Holy Spirit to do in and through us and with us what he desires, that he can reveal to us what he has in mind for us, that we will allow him to overcome those things in our lives that are holding us back. Let's take a look at the gospel. The gospel today for this week is from Matthew, since we're in uh, uh, year A, which from which the gospels come from Matthew for the most part. We're going to read from Matthew 28, 16 to 20. And it's not even going to talk about the resurrection itself. It says the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had ordered them and they saw him and they worshiped him, but they doubted. Wow, they doubted. What does James tell us about doubt? James tells us in uh, chapter one, verses five to eight, any of you who lacks wisdom must ask God who gives to all generously and without scolding. It will be given, but the prayer must be made with faith and no trace of doubt, because a person who has doubts is like the waves thrown up in the sea by the buffeting wind. That sort of person in two minds, inconsistent in every way, must not expect to receive anything from the Lord. So we are called to have faith 
so that God can work in our lives in a way that is there, that if we don't have the faith, but you, you look that they doubted. The apostles, 11, still doubted what was going on, just like Thomas doubted in the upper room. And how each time we see in the post-resurrection appearances, there are some situations where they don't know whether it's God or whether it's Jesus or not. Even when he had the miraculous catch on the shore of Galilee and cooked breakfast for them, they it says that they knew it was Jesus, but they didn't ask him. But it was kind of like, is this really him or am I just imagining things? So the last thing that Jesus tells them in Matthew's gospel is, all power in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he instructs them to go out and to make disciples. And he says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Well, what, what was Jesus's main thing that he told them to, come, to do? And we're going to go to John again. We're going to look at John 13, 34. I give you a new commandment. Love one another. You must love one another just as I have loved you. In John 15, 12, he says, this is my commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. So he repeats that to the the apostles twice. And in John 15, 17, he says, my commandment to you is to love one another. So what's the commandment? Well, we know that he, when he was asked who, what the two great commandments were, he said, love God with all your heart, your whole being, basically, and your neighbor as yourself. So it's the whole thing of loving God, loving your neighbor, and loving yourself. So that's the main commandment. And, I, and you'll hear that from me so frequently, that the commandment is the commandment to love. If we, if we have love, then we will be keeping the commandments. So, and he says the last thing here, he says, I am with you to the end of the age. Same thing he said earlier, isn't it? He's going to be with us for all of time. And I think that that's very important for us to understand. The the time today is going to be a little bit short, but that's it. I hope that this has been helpful to you. If, uh, If you have any comments or suggestions, I'd appreciate hearing them from you. In the meantime, God bless you and you have a good week.